church, uh, and that's always front and center. If you look around at some of those other things, you're going to see that the only reason that we know the good news is that it's not of our own imagination. As I was sharing yesterday in, in uh, uh, some counseling situations, uh, there were some folks who were wondering about their children. Uh, why do the kids use the F word and why do they not want to go to church? And uh, then they were asking the question, why do their neighbors believe all these things that are not true? You know, folks are even being told that the, uh, that the, that the climate is changing so much that it's the worst thing, it's the, it's the biggest danger to all of us. You know, I can tell you that if, even if Noah was to stand here and to say that, uh, that God was going to send rain for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, he still wasn't going to destroy the earth. What he was doing was he was telling you that holiness is going to, uh, is going to confront sin. And uh, the biggest danger in this world is not the climate, nor is it even the, uh, the other countries that fly different flags. This is Flag Day. The biggest issue is what goes on inside of your soul, not what goes on in the externals. We have a sin problem. And that's why communion is so important. Because it's not about the juice and the bread. It's about who you're communing with. If you can finish that verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You realize that's why we can commune with the triune God. And that's why it is so sweet. As, as we just prayed that we would have more and more of that. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles, we're in Colossians chapter 3. There are only four chapters in Colossians, so we're uh, marching through this particular text. We're going to be looking at the inerrant, infallible, inspired word as it was given in the originals. We'll be beginning at verse 22. Uh, we are in the section of Scripture where the equation of salvation has already been given, and now we're looking at the application. In other words, because we know what it means to be saved, now what happens when you are saved? Uh, I think D. James Kennedy used to say it like this. It was like the gift of eternal life has been given. Now the life that you have been given, what do you do with it? And, and then basically he used to say it was like a P.S. that you write at the end of the letter to say thank you. And living the Christian life is being able to thank God for the great gift that he gave to us. We have a peace that passes earthly understanding. When everybody else is saying insurrection or everybody else is saying the sky is falling or the, the temperature is rising or whatever they say, we know that there is a peace that passes understanding. And we can look at a little old truck and we can see that, hey, those people understand that there's something more important in Rehoboth in the summertime than getting a suntan, S-U-N. It's being in the presence of the sun, S-O-N. Now, let us look at God's Word. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. It is found in your pew Bibles there, if you're following along, on page 1,253. Uh, there, beginning in verse 22, it says, Bond servants... Bond servants. Uh, the Greek word is doulos. You could translate this slaves. Uh, I'd like to translate it for us today as employees. Okay, he says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality or favoritism. He goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Uh, let us give thanks to the Lord's word. Our heavenly father, I pray you'll bless the reading of the word, make it an effectual means to our understanding. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with all these things, uh, it's wonderful. Most people have never really looked at Colossians chapter 3 at the end. Most of you would gravitate to the book of Ephesians. It's a little bit bigger, and it's got some beautiful little nuances, you know, just like the armor of God and those kind of things. What is Colossians famous for? Uh, 
Look at you. You're proving my point. Uh, is it your favorite book in the Bible? I, I've been uh, kind of interested. Uh, I'm, I, the reason I jumped into Colossians, I've been praying this year about what to study and teach. And if you remember from Psalm 2, uh, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The people of the earth set themselves and the government leaders take counsel against the Lord and against the Christians. And they say, we want to cut the cords. We want to cast away all that Christianity. We, we, want, we want to move into post-Christianity. And when I hear that, makes me sad. Makes me sad for the next generation. My little granddaughter. What kind of a world is she going to grow up in? Already, if we talk to anybody that's under 20, guess what? They can't remember when prayer and Bible reading was even in the public sector, much less in the public school. Now, I mean, they're growing up in an era where you get canceled if you say you believe in Jesus. You get canceled if you still believe that the pilgrims actually were the founding of our country because they're trying to rechange that from, 20, or from 1620. They want to move it back to 1619 and tell you that everything about America is bad because there were slaves. And that includes the Constitution, that includes the courts, that includes the family unit, that includes having a patriarchal system, it includes people who read their Bibles. They want to do away with all that. And they want to reinvent a new utopia. Imagine there's no heaven. They already have their theme song. Now when you think about that, here we are today, 2021, and I'm preaching about slavery. Who would have ever dreamed that? But the text today is not talking about the chains of slavery. I was looking at the front of the bulletin and I was wondering, what picture would you have put up there? You know, what picture would you put on the front to be able to, to have a silhouette of somebody that's a worker or a silhouette of somebody that's a boss? What would you have put there? In 2021, you'd probably put at least a man or a woman, but it would look like a marriage again. At least that's what we all know. A marriage is between one man and one woman. But when you look at the workplace today with all of this thing called the equity of outcomes and with the feminism and, and with the changing of genders and with the fact I just heard recently that the population reproduction rate is down to 1.8 in America. That means... Boys and girls are growing up to think that it's not cool to be moms and dads. They'd rather put it off or they end up not having them. What a change. But today I'm not focusing on that. I'm focusing on the ones who are going to be the leaders in the workplace and the ones who are actually going to be flipping the burgers and the ones that are going to be doing the teaching in the schools and the ones who are going to be driving the trucks if they still have trucks to drive in the future if robots don't take over. Employment, it is quite an interesting topic. Uh, this is Labor, this feels like a Labor Day, but it's actually Flag Day because it's June 14th. We're celebrating in 1777, the first flag with the 13 stripes and the 13 stars. And this is when the country was trying to have some pride. This is when they were trying to uh, establish themselves as an independent nation. It's pretty cool. But the reason I'm dealing with labor issues today is because of the text. The people in Colossae had received this information from the apostle, the sent one from God, one who had met the resurrected Christ, and he is giving them instruction about those who are doing the work and those who are the overseers of the work. It's kind of interesting. This topic is a biblical text, and it is decidedly for these folks in, a, in a, almost a forgotten town in southern Turkey. I mean, how many of you have actually been to Colossae? I mean, it's hard to find it now. I think I've got one person in the room. There's not many ruins left there. I mean, it's all ruins. It just looks like one big hill. They call it a tell. Okay? Most people are familiar with Colossae because of their neighboring city five kilometers away called Laodicea. And you're familiar with that because the book of Revelation that John talks about, he said there was a letter sent to the church of Laodicea. But most people, the only reason you know that Colossae existed is because Paul wrote a letter to it as well. The book of Colossians. He was in jail when he wrote this. When he explained it to the people, he, he was sitting in a jail cell and he was trying to explain to these folks, uh, hey, there's some issues going on in your church. Those issues have to be dealt with. 
In chapter 3, he was explaining to them some of the application, that salvation is so cool. You can read about it in chapter 1, what the Father does, what the Spirit does, and what the Son does, uh, how the Son has delivered us, the Father has put us into the kingdom, that Jesus has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness by bringing us into the kingdom that he is the king over. And then, then there's this cool doctrinal thing called the union with Christ. And Paul says, that's what I got to tell everybody about, and you'll see that's one of the main points today. And now having explained it all, in chapter 2 he says, some of you are being tricked. You're listening to the wrong voices. Some people are telling you that because you have sinful flesh that you can, well, your, your flesh can do whatever it wants. You can have sex whenever you want. You don't have to worry about that because the sex is not going to heaven. Uh, so all that physical sarks is what it's called in the Greek. You know, you, they, they give you this license to do whatever. Then there were other voices who were like, we're the goody two-shoes and we, we have all the rules. People, if you are a Christian, you've got to only wear your clothes a certain way and you have to make sure your hair is cut a certain way and you can't say the, those words. You can't say those bad words. You know, you've got to put soap in your mouth if you do. You know what I'm talking about. There's all those who have the legalistic mode. Instead of being licentious and saying it doesn't matter, there's those, those who say, oh, you'll be a better Christian if you do all these rules. The Apostle Paul was explaining that's not about salvation. And he goes on to say, some of you beat your body up and some of you are big into visions and into these ecstatic feelings and stuff like that. And, and that's all in chapter 2. He says, stop listening to the wrong voices. What matters most is your relationship with Jesus. Now, that's where chapter 3 comes in. If you have your Bibles open, he says, if you have been connected to Jesus, listen to this. If you've been raised with Christ, then he says, then everything changes. Set your affection on things above where Christ is. And that's where we, we have our text unfolding and explaining some really, really neat things. But Paul is so excited because he says, once you guys get it, this relationship with Christ, then everything else is different. And I'm praying that that's what you'll experience today, even as we come to the Lord's table. Uh, there is a mystery that, that I'm going to be unfolding. There is a, uh, an interesting thing about a master, and thirdly, about the maestro. If you're keeping notes or if you're following along with the fourth point supplement, you're going to be able to see those, those things being unfolded and be seen. But right now, I want to begin with the context before getting into the content and then the consequence. Okay, so the first part here is the context for this labor topic. Okay, we're dealing on, uh, as I said, on Flag Day, but I'm telling you about your employer and your employee. Normally you would say, well, Pastor, why don't you wait till the summer's over when we have to go back to work? Okay, as if we never do anything during the summer. It's a lot of people working like crazy right now. And uh, in fact, if you listen to the Ten Commandments, number four was telling you about that too. Don't work like crazy. He says, at least rest on that one day and make sure you attribute some glory to God. Now, as, as we come together in this sermon today, I, I'm, I'm picking up all those loose ends because last week we had six graduates on the stage and we were asking them with a microphone in front of their face, uh, what comes next? How many of them said job? There were, some of them did. Most of the kids feel like their job has been to be a student. But as I was visiting with, uh, with one lady that just visited, uh, she's a relative of one of our regular attenders, uh, I visited with her this week, and she says, she says, oh yeah, pastor, she says, I've got a real job down in Carolina, and she says, um, I'm going to have to start paying my own bills now. I turned and looked at the dad, and I'm like, it's pretty neat. That's part of the signs of growing up, when you can end up getting an income. Now, as I said, to be able to explain this whole concept of money and, and, and uh, we call it commerce, uh, I want to be able to make sure that you realize that, that, that there is a context for all of this, and then I'll get right to it. Uh, okay, first thing to realize is that God established this world, and he made it very good with man and woman, and everything was hunky-dory. Okay, because of sin entering into the world, the family unit was altered, and now there was some struggle. But also there was this institution of government that God established because people are now going to be in disorder. They don't naturally do the right thing. Imagine that. How many kids just naturally do the right thing? You know, it's really interesting how it's universal. 
And then the third element is that there's this institution called the church. Jesus said, I'm going to build it. And he gave it organization after he had already started the organism back with Adam and Eve. But it's really beautiful when you realize that all of these three institutions, God said, they're here for your good. But where do the other things fit in? There's these two elements that I've often not been able to factor in because one of them has to do with commerce and the other has to do with education. And, and you can easily put commerce and education under one of those other banners, uh, but do they have any particular authority? Who's in charge when it comes to commerce? Does the boss get to do whatever he wants to do? Careful. The boss does not get to do things that are evil. Okay? Because the government's supposed to curtail evil practices. It's really kind of interesting. Um, but, it, but it's interesting now that we're in the 2020s that things are more sophisticated. There, there's more tools, there's more tech, there's more advances in trade and in transportation than ever before. Right now, in a, we can actually go to our computer and click on something, and guess what happens? Something will show up on your front door two days later. That was just a pipe dream when I was growing up. It's pretty amazing. Now, all of that stuff, who's in charge of it? Right now, you can actually have your voice be, be communicated, and it can, it can be heard around the world. Even right now, if we're broadcasting, my sister in Hawaii could probably be listening if she was awake. Or if we wanted to see where Angel was, if she's already flown and, and with Mark, if they're back in China, 11 time zones away, they could listen exactly right now, too. It's pretty amazing what's out there. Who's in charge of them? Do they get to do whatever they want to do? If they're in a, a head of a communications company and they want to stop you from tweeting or texting or from emailing, can they do that? Well, some people already are doing that. The question simply is when it comes to commerce, is there an authority that God gave them? And I, I'm going to argue that there's three authorities, the home, the church, and the state, and those authorities are supposed to influence and rein in and keep the others from getting too far. The same is true with education. Right now, who's responsible for education? Well, the scripture clearly says the parents are, but right now the institutions of education are teaching whatever they want to teach. And right now, many parents are, are struggling about what they're going to do because if they pull their kids out or if they leave their kids in, they, they might even get ostracized. It's really amazing. This sermon is about commerce. So when we look at this, the first is the context. Uh, the change that Christ brings changed even commerce. Now, I want to be able to give you first, that the, read, read through these texts of Scripture that are inside your bulletin. If you have your bulletin, you'll be able to see all these texts. I want you to know that the Bible does talk about these things. So first, I'm reading through now in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God has something to do to say about commerce, about work, about labor. He says in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work. Hey, so work is not an ugly thing. This was actually done before the fall. So don't blame your job as being a curse. No, you can basically say that the reason you have trouble at your job is because of the curse. But the job itself is a blessing. Now, if you look at the next verse in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, you've already had this flow on your lips earlier. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. Now, most of us have modified that to say five days will do it all. Where'd you get the freedom to do that? Where did I get the freedom to do that? Well, we might have to thank Henry Ford. He came up with the five-day work week with the 40 hours. And they ended up doing something up there in Detroit that was pretty fascinating, if you think about it. It's influenced the world, the Industrial Revolution and all that. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, uh, it, this is an interesting text that is act, actually quoted in the New Testament in relation to pastors. Now, don't get the idea that pastors are ox. Okay, listen to this. You shall not muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. Now, I'm not saying that all pastors are just as dumb as, yoke, uh, you know, dumb as oxen, but this is the point, is that if the oxen are doing the pulling the grind and they're, they're milling up the corn and the wheat or whatever grain is there, uh, the, the, the ox is supposed to be able to eat some of the stuff that it sees. 
And this is the principle behind that if a pastor is laboring with the word of God, he's, he's also to be able to be remunerated. Now, if you look at the next verse there in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, he says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given to you under the sun, because this is your portion in life and, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Now, basically, this is the old man Solomon writing the book of Ecclesiastes as an old guy. He's lived his life. He's had everything you could imagine. I mean, he was ahead of the curve. The scripture says he was one of the wisest guys that ever lived. I didn't say he's the wisest because Jesus knew more. But Solomon in his old age looks back and he says, look, you can do all these kind of things, but there's some beauty in work. There's toil in it. But there's purpose and toil. But he says, sometimes we don't realize uh, that, that there, there's an emptiness at the end. If this is all there is, then this isn't enough. Now, if you look at the next one, book of Job, chapter 7, and we don't quote Job very often, but in chapter 7, he, the quote comes here. He says, has not man had a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand? like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hired hand who looks for his wages. Job is talking about things. I'm telling you, Job lived just, you know, he, was, he, he probably knew Noah. You know, after the, the ark settled on Mount Ararat and the people got out and they multiplied, Noah lived a few hundred years. Well, I believe that Job was in those few hundred years. And Job is the one that says, look, even now, you know, he says, we're, we're looking for some shade. If I got a really tough situation where I'm, in, where I'm actually not free, but I'm a servant of somebody. And he said, if I am a hired hand, boy, I definitely can't wait till Friday payday. You know, these are principles that have been going on for a long, long, long time. In the New Testament, let me take you to Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? Oh, no, pastor, now you're getting into meddling. You want me to do the work of the kingdom? You know, I'm going to bribe you with a sandwich after church is over to come on over, and I'll show you what kind of work needs to be done in children's ministry. And I'd like all of you to feel like you should be there. Uh, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he goes on to explain that just because our labor is not in vain, because God has before ordained it. Now, look, he says, for we are God's workmanship. In other words, God is working on us, and we're created now in Christ Jesus, the in Christ. you got to catch that. He says, because we're in Christ, there are good works that we're to do. And he says, God has prepared beforehand that we should be walking in them. If you think that becoming a Christian means that you can sit on the couch and just eat bonbons, that only works for maybe a few minutes. You're supposed to be out there doing what God has equipped and called you to do. And part of my job as a pastor is to equip you to do it. Now, you might say, oh, well, you're the one that's paid to do it. No, I'm paid to help get you to do it. That's what it means to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, if you look at the next verse there, Philemon chapter 1, uh, this is verses 12. Uh, uh, if you look here, he says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, most of you don't even have a clue what Paul's talking about. The apostle Paul is writing the book of Philemon. Philemon is written to a rich guy, to Philemon. That's where you get the name. And Paul says, I'm sending you this guy, this laborer. I'm sending him back to you. And the interesting twist about this is that Onesimus is his name. And Onesimus was a runaway slave. He used to be employed by Philemon, and he didn't like Philemon. He's a jerk. And so he said, I'm getting out of here. And so he took off. And when he got far away, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit brought him to hear the preaching of the word under the apostle uh, named Paul. And Onesimus becomes a Christian. God changed his life. He no longer is dead in sins and trespasses. He's been born again. And he's a Christian young man. And if you listen to this text, he says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, Philemon, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be the compul by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Restoration. He's coming back to work for you. 
And he says, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. He's now not only somebody that's going to work with you because he has to, because of slavery. He's going to be somebody that works for you as a brother in Christ. Now, that's the point I'm trying to say in the sermon today, is that, that there is a change when the truth is made known. Now, if you're following along with your notes today, uh, the context for this labor, I wanted to go through those texts of Scripture with you, and now I want to be able to show you that there is a mystery that changed everything. The Apostle Paul in chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 revealed that mystery. He was telling the church in Colossae, he says, it's been hidden a long, 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 long time. But now that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he says, now it's clear for you to see. Jesus is alive. And you have a relationship with the living Christ. And it's not mere intellectual assent. And it's not just temporary faith that you lean on him when things get bad. The mystery is that you and Christ are united. And it's so unfathomable that you, a sinner, that me, as a sinner, could be linked to Jesus who is without sin. That mystery was made, it makes sense when you look at the cross now, when you look at the communion table now. You see, the Bible says that he was sinless. He who knew no sin became sin. That becoming sin was what Isaiah said in chapter 53, our sins were laid upon him. And so the sin of our flesh was laid upon Christ and his flesh. And if you read in, in, in Luke 22, you read the story about how Jesus said, Father, is there any other way? Because the sweat drops of blood were starting to, to, to be demonstrated that the weight of our sin was so heavy. And when he went to the cross, nobody else could grasp when he looked to the Father and said, forgive them. They don't understand. They're just like Peter, who just a few weeks earlier had said, Jesus, I'll never let you die. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Because Satan didn't want Jesus to die like that. This union with Christ. When Jesus died, our sins were laid upon him. We were united with him in his death. And the Bible says even that we were buried with him and crucified with him and we'll be preaching on that text in Galatians soon. But then in chapter 3 of Colossians, he says, we've been raised with that same Jesus, the one who paid for our sins, who took our sins to Calvary's cross, who bore the Father's wrath. Now we're raised in Christ, and things are different. The mystery has been revealed, and now it changes the relationships, and that's where those eight relationships are mentioned. If you're following along with me, it's really interesting. It's the two sides of marriage, the two sides of parenting, the two sides of commerce, and the two sides of being inside the church and outside the church. Did you hear those eight things? If you are in Christ, if that union has taken place and you're forgiven, then that means husbands and wives, you treat each other differently. Yeah, even the word submit, even the word don't be harsh. Now, if, if when it comes to parenting, oh yeah, children, listen to them. They're not dumb. You might think they are, but they're not. And even if they are, you still got to listen to them. Fathers and mothers, make sure you lead them. It's really hard for a child to follow if you're not leading. Don't abdicate your parental role. Don't let the educators take it. Don't let the, don't let the state take it. Don't even let the church take it. Train up your children in the way they should go so that when they are older, they will not forget the God of their mom and their dad. Now, if you look a little further, there was two sides of commerce that we're dealing with today. And then right after he deals with those, he says the two sides of being in the church and outside the church. Today, I'm focusing on the two sides of commerce, the boss and the employed. Now, when Christ is in you, does that change the workplace environment? It absolutely does. Wouldn't it be nice if you worked for a Christian or if you were the Christian boss and had all the people that work for you Christians? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, you'd probably be like Chick-fil-A and you close on Sundays because everybody would be going to church, right? The problem is today is that even when people claim to be in Christ, they don't do the Christian things. 
They lie, they cheat, they steal, they try to, to, to shave things, they, they try to, to fake certain things on taxes, they try to look good, they try to perform the part, they say what, what the boss wants to say, and in many ways, the bosses, they will give you the impression that they're so righteous and godly, and then they'll cheat you out of every penny. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Could that, could that possibly be true? Do you think your boss loves you? I'm hoping, do you think your spouse loves you? I hope you can say yes to that one. Okay, the boss will love you when you do what you're supposed to do. And in a sense, you will love the boss when he gives you the paycheck, right? That's really not love. But if you get into this particular thing, when Christ is in you, it changes all these relationships. And that's the context that I wanted you to get at. Second now is the content. So what does the text actually tell us? Uh, When you look here, the focus of this text is on the word master. The word master. In the Greek, it's called kurios. Kurios. It was one of the first Greek words that I learned. A kurios. It's the Lord. Whenever you see a capital K in the kurios, it's the Lord. Now, when you're looking at the Lord, it's a little different than Christos or Jesus. Okay, why? Because the one for Jesus means Savior. The one for Christos means Christ or the anointed one. But when you get Lord, you get the guy that's in charge. When Lord speaks, you say, yes, sir. You don't care whether there's one, two, three, four, five, or whatever stars on his shoulders or whatever rank he's wearing. If he's the Lord... There's nobody over him. And that's the focus that you get in this particular text, the universal concept of labor in everyone's life. There's always going to be some some means of making enough money to be able to put bread on the table, to be able to keep that family unit going. The misconception of labor is that a lot of people think that uh, when, when we become Christians, we don't need to do anything anymore. That's why I've been trying to, to, to unpack that misconception. Whatever voice is telling you that when you become a Christian, you don't have to do anything for Christ, that's somebody that's mixing up sanctification and justification. Absolutely correct in justification. What did you do to be justified before God? Nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. You know, it's, we're saved not by works, but by his work not by ours, lest we would be able to boast. You can see that over and over repeated in Scripture. But many people apply that to the other aspect of Christianity. And that is when God saves us, all of a sudden we think, well, we're saved. We've got the fire escape. We've got our, I was going to teach you and say, instead of a vaccine passport, you've got your hell passport. You don't have to go. I've got my ticket to heaven My goodness, it's really interesting that I'm not telling you to do good works in order to be saved. I'm saying you do good works because God has before ordained that you should be doing them. Are you doing them? Are you laboring for the Lord? If you think that labor is a bad thing and you think retirement is heaven, when we get to heaven, you're going to be sadly disappointed. There is no 401k in heaven. You can't just add to that and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to accumulate more and more and more. No, 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 no. We're getting fit for heaven now because there's plenty of things to be doing in heaven. You're not just going to be whistling Dixie. <laughs> you know, even though those, the, the dwarfs were workers, when we get to heaven, we're going to be doing a lot of things that are going to look like work, but they're going to be things we enjoy doing. Now, in the meantime, the master is the one that sets things up. If you look at our particular text here in Colossians, there are four, ma- uh, four aspects that the master deals with. First is that honor, uh, he honors labor by doing your work with your heart sincerity. If you look at the particular text, he says, whatever you do, do it with sincerity. What's the opposite of sincerity? All of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You do it half-hearted, or you do it with a phony face. You don't do it with a genuine desire. Okay, let me ask you this. Does God, since you're saved and you're in Christ, you get 50% past that half of the things you do, you can do it without heart sincerity? 50%. That would be a good deal, wouldn't it? Hey, pastor, I'm just having a bad day today, and I got 50%. I can fake it. 
Do you understand how stupid it is for me to stand in front of you and say, oh yeah, I'll give you a pass. You don't have to do anything with sincerity. You can just be a phony. Do you realize when the children are looking at Christians today in 2021, and if there were some folks looking in here today and, and having cameras on of people around here, how many of you do do whatever you do with sincerity of your heart? Did you get the vaccine because the governor told you? Or because your kids told you? Or because you thought it was a good idea? Or because you got paid $50,000? I think somebody did get paid in Maryland. They won that special little lottery. Then what I'm trying to tell you is, what motivates your soul? The first thing he says, whatever you do, do it heartily, is to the Lord. The kurios has a job for you and that, that you should be searching your heart to see if what you're doing is true and honest. And if it's not with sincerity, you've got issues. Secondly, he says, uh, honor is, he says he honors labor by expecting accountability from his eyes, not your eyes, or not their eyes. This is kind of an interesting quick text I'll be able to show you, is that don't be a man pleaser. Now, in order to be politically correct in 2021, don't be a woman pleaser either. Don't be a man pleaser or a woman pleaser. Yeah, can't believe you have to even add these things to the text anymore. What is a man pleaser and a woman pleaser? I can't even say it from the pulpit because it'd be recorded. It's when people do things that are absolutely full of stuff. They're not genuine at all. And the irony is that, that the people, and this is sad if Christians are doing it, if we're only doing it because of the eyes of the people that are our bosses the eyes of the people that are accountable, that we're accountable to. The whole point here, he says that the kurios, the master speaks, and he says, don't worry about their eyes at all. My eyes are looking at you. I think that's supposed to work if you're cool. <laughs> I'm watching, you know. Now, the, the, the uh, third thing here, he says, he honors labor with the awareness of, a, of an interesting uh, retirement plan. And if you look there in the text, I'm going to go ahead and read it for you. In verse 22, servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as, as men and women pleasers, but with sincerity of your heart, fearing the kurios. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive what? Your hourly wage, Right? Lord, it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. I'm looking at my bank account. I'm looking to see if the money went up. Direct deposit, right? The interesting thing in the retirement plan, he says, knowing that of the kurios, you will receive an inheritance. That'll be what you get as your reward. How many of you would rather have an hourly wage or an inheritance? Well, if you're a smart person, if you're a kid that would be asking questions, what's in the inheritance? You know, do I just inherit a, ch a shack with a, uh, um, you know, with a portable toilet on it? An out outhouse, an outhouse, you know. Now, in today's world, it'd be great to have even your property with an outhouse on it. But the, but the point I'm trying to make is a lot of us don't realize that what the Lord has gone to prepare for us. See if you can finish this verse with me. Jesus said it in John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. I go to prepare a place for... And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive... You unto myself that where I am there you may be also. And he says, comfort one another with these words. It's really interesting that what God has gone to prepare a place for us, an inheritance that's out of this world. And we get so worried about whether we are going to eat or drink or what's going to be, what's the roof over our heads. Do you remember one of Jesus' first sermon in, in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, don't worry. Look at the flowers. They're beautiful, and the Heavenly Father takes care of them. He says, look at the birds. Now, how many of you know how big a bird brain is? It's bigger than yours. No, no, that's the other way around. Yours is bigger than theirs, okay? But, I mean, they don't even have to have all that, that brain capacity, okay? But they, they are not worried. Look at us. It's crazy when you realize there is a retirement plan, and the
honoring labor is the universal understanding of fairness. If you look there at the end of the verse, he says, for the, for the wrongdoer uh, is going to be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no favoritism. There is no racism. There is no... Um, there is no... Uh, I'm trying to make a modern, you know, a BLM or maybe put any other letter in front of lives matter. There's no more division. There's no more critical race theory. There's none more of this. You don't have to beat yourself up because you're one color or you're not one color. He says it doesn't matter about all those phony things that, that are there. He says there's no partiality. It's either you're doing what's right or you're doing what's wrong on the inside. And he says the curious is going to have a fair payment when... Judgment Day comes. Are you cheating? If you're a boss, are you cheating your employees? Employees, are you cheating your bosses? You may think you get away with it. Be not deceived. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap the corruption of the flesh. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap life everlasting. This is why this challenge here, that when you become a Christian, the employment situation changes. You don't want to cheat your boss, and you don't want to cheat your employees. I have to just put this one little phrase in here because this is tough, but I have to. There are a lot of people who want to condemn slavery. Pastor, aren't you going to condemn slavery? You're racist. Do you understand the scripture when it uses the word doulos? It doesn't use it in a derogatory sense all the time. The apostle Paul said that he was a slave. Who was he a slave to? To Jesus. He wanted to do his master's bidding, the kurios. You see, and when you look through here, the scripture is not going around condemning all the slavery because in so many ways, we're all enslaved to something. It's just we don't know what the masters are. Some of you are enslaved to alcohol. Some of you are enslaved to friendships. Some of you are enslaved to, to uh, having babies. Some of you are enslaved to having big bank accounts. Some of you are enslaved to having lots of food. Some of you are enslaved to looking nice. Some of you are enslaved to having to spend a lot of time on your hair. Some of you are enslaved to a lot of different things. The master can change. But there's only one slavery that's really good, to be a slave of Christ. Now, as I wrap things up, the third point of the sermon is the maestro. Okay, we've seen the master and how he changed things, but the maestro is the interesting thing, and that is the accomplishment that Christ accomplished. It's the consequences. Once the sequence was set in place, that before the foundation of the world, God said he was going to have the Lamb of God who would be slain. Did he get slain in the first 100 years? No. Did he get first slain in the first 2,500 years? No. In fact, there was a lot of death and destruction because the flood came probably about 2,400 after Adam. But then after the, the, the flood, then you have all these years. I started with Job and went through Abraham, and you finally get to Jesus, you know, and then when Jesus shows up on this earth, it's pretty neat to be able to see what was accomplished with him, but the consequence finally changed. The sequence changed when Jesus went to the cross. It was not after the first 30 years. It was not after the first 33 years. It was when he finished his work to tell us die. It's done. When that consequence, the things that came with that sequence, is now we're raised in Christ. Now we have a newness. We have a new purpose in life. We're to go to ends of the earth to preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you can see how these things, the Lord Jesus accomplished this purpose. And if you go to Mark chapter 10, verse 45, which I didn't read at the beginning, but I want you to see it now as we come to the Lord's table. Look at what Jesus said as an example. For the Son of Man did not come into this world to be served, but to serve. He didn't come into town with, his, with, with, a, uh, with a silver spoon in his mouth. He didn't get the big mansion. You know, he didn't get the plush oceanside villa. He was in a little town of Bethlehem born. And then he was living and growing up in that rocky little fortification of Nazareth where he was almost pushed over the ledge. 
He was despised and rejected of men, and you can see how all of that unfolded. But Jesus came not to serve, but to, he did not come to be served, but to serve. And his work was to, do, to give his life a ransom for many. As we wrap things up, that's why Colossians 1 says is that now that we are in Christ, that the works that Christ is doing, he is doing in and through us. As Galatians 2.20 says, we were crucified with Christ. Now we live, and, and we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's working himself in and through what we're accomplishing. And that is why, as we come to the Lord's table now, I want to take you to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, there is this interesting portion where Jesus... Jesus is dealing with some of the people, um, and this is where it will come to the table. Let me start reading it, chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, verse 2, and a large crowd was following him. Verse 3, Jesus went up on a mountain with his disciples. Now he said the Passover was nearby. In other words, the feast of the Passover was happening. And he looked up and he said, uh, um, and seeing a large crowd that was coming, Jesus said to Philip, uh, where are we to buy the bread? And so uh, he said this to test him. Verse 7, Philip says, well, we've got, we'd need 200 denarii worth of bread. But he said that wouldn't even be enough to fill the, the mouths of these, these stomachs of these people. Verse 8, one of the disciples said, there's somebody here. There's a little guy, an insignificant little fellow. We don't even know his name. He's got a lunch. You know, he's, his mom sent a lunch with him. He's got uh, five little barley loaves and two fish. Verse 10, and Jesus said, everybody sit down, relax. It's almost like me saying, everybody go over there and let's have lunch. I'm going to do that for you in a few minutes. And, and then it says, um, then when they sat down, he gave thanks, distributed the food, and everybody ate and everybody was satisfied. And when they had eaten, verse 12, they gathered up the fragments and they had 12 baskets, verse 13. Now, when the people saw all this kind of stuff, who was doing all the work? Trick question. The disciples were distributing all this food. But, uh, but to this point, they really didn't realize what everything was going on. But when the people saw all this, they said, oh, this is cool. The prophets here, verse 14, verse 15 said, perceiving then, they went about and they, they tried to take Jesus by force so that he would take over the, the, the whole country. We want him to be our king. If he can feed us like this, we want him to be doing everything. It's almost like we would love to have a president who could manufacture money like that. That wouldn't be by printing and making inflation. Wouldn't it be great if we could pay off our debt? 22 trillion? Perceiving all this, they wanted to set Jesus up as king. When evening came, the disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat, started across the Sea of Capernaum, and it was dark. The sea became rough, and they were, all, and they were afraid. So that's when Jesus shows up, and he, and he gives them this encouragement to say, peace be still. Now, jumping down to 25, and when they found him on the other side... They said, Rabbi, how'd you get here? They're, they're trying to work all these things out. He says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say unto you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, because, but because your stomach needs to be filled. And this is where the word work comes into our text. Do not work, verse 27, for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Is there a difference between those? How many of you have been working for the perishable food? How many of you just keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, keep doing just to have bread on the table and to have money in the bank? If that's all that you're working for is this earthly life, then you really are not working for the kingdom. He says, he says but you should be working for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And he says in verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do? Now they're looking for the task. Now they want to be employed to be doing the works of God. And then he just simply said, this is the works of God, verse 29, that you believe or rest in Christ, whom God the Father has sent. And then in verse 33, and then I'll bring us to the table. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives light to the world. And with that, the people said, sir, give us that bread.
We have the bread before us. The elders are going to be coming forward now, and we're going to be distributing the elements. This is the communion table. The work of Jesus was not to be served, but to serve. And he came to do the work that nobody else could do. He died the death that we deserved. He took our place. The sinless became sinful that we might become redeemed. It was done. Now the risen Christ works in you and me through his Holy Spirit. He empowers us, Acts 1.8. You shall receive power. The Holy Ghost will come upon you and you will be a witness. Or as Jesus said to the disciples, as you are living your life, as you are going out into the world, you will be my witnesses. Now we come to the table today as the elders are around. You can bring the light up in the room a little bit. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that if you are in Christ then the works that are going on now are Christ at work in you, both to do and to will of his good pleasure. Wow. Your life is not a waste. There are some of you that are wondering, why am I here? Some of you are wondering, are we going to leave even a Christian, uh, a Christian world and life view to, our, to the next generation? Some of us have feel, felt like failures because we try to train our kids and our kids don't listen. The kids are listening to other voices. It's really interesting when you start to realize all of this stuff coming together that when you come to the communion table, you focus on Christ. Jesus said, remember. Remember. He doesn't say remember what you did. He didn't say remember when you came forward. He didn't say, remember when you said this promise? No, no, no. You're not supposed to remember what you did. You're supposed to remember what he did. When you look to the cross, you discern the Lord's body, and you show forth his death until he comes again. You see, the reason that we can live is because we were crucified with him. He took our sin. As we come to the Lord's table, I told you at the beginning of church today, there are some of you who have been looking forward to communion. You've prayed. You sought the Lord's counsel. You've been on your knees. You might have fasted. You might have taken, gone to bed early last night, turned off the TV, and just focused on, boy, what the Lord has done for you. I praise the Lord that there are some that do that. You get ready. The greatest moment of the week is when you get to come to church and hear the word of God proclaimed in your ears. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. But then there are some of you that are so busy in this world, you've been working for the bread that, that perishes. You're here today. You've heard the word of God. The apostle is telling the people, the believers in Colossae, stop working your fingers to the bone for things that perish. Draw near to Christ. What would Jesus have you do? Jesus said it interestingly, come unto me, all of you that are weary, that have been doing all that earthly stuff. My burden is, help me out. Do you really believe it? Most of you don't. You think the burden is heavier. You want me to do that too? You want me to show up at church four times a month? You want me to serve in a ministry? You want me to give that much money? You're missing the point. You and I are united to Christ. What is yours that isn't his? What is his that isn't yours? If the Father's will for the Son to come to this world to, this world to do certain things, and then the Son has called certain of us to go out into the world, then that's what your task is. Your commerce is to go and do what God's called you to do and do it heartily because he's your boss, not he or she. We come to the Lord's table. We're remembering what the Lord did for us. Let's pray and I'll set these things apart. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you.